All right, how's everyone doing? Everyone happy? Good, good. All right, would you guys go ahead and stand up with me again? We're going to read the Word of God. The Word of God. If we've been... uh, If you've been in the house, we're going to do a little bit of a review, but we've been in Romans chapter 8 for several weeks, and today is our final week in Romans 8. Someone say, ah. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to make it a powerful one. Grand finale. All right, would you read with me? We're reading the ESV Romans 8, eight verses of Romans 8. How about that? Romans 8, 31 through 39. Ready? And I I like to say this, if you're new, you can follow along on your phone, but you might jump ahead of us because we have strategic breaks. And so if you want to follow along and not make a fool of yourself, then follow the screen. No. All right, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. And even now, God... We posture our hearts to receive from your word this power-packed passage from Romans 8 that the gospel would be continued to be seen in our lives where we're able to see the fullness of what Jesus paid for by his death and his resurrection and how you've made us into new creations in Christ. And so, God, I could teach about this all day long, but we need a work of the Spirit in our lives. We need a move of the Holy Spirit to illuminate what you wrote. And so we ask, even right now, would you come and be our teacher? Would you breathe on my ordinary words and make them filled with your presence? Anoint them with your power, God. And and let our hearts be good soil that these seeds of your word can be planted into and really mature and grow in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right into it. Um, If you've been with us, you've seen a little bit in Romans chapter 8, the power to change is the power to choose. And that because we're in Christ, the power of sin is broken in our life. And we actually can change. Most people cannot change. And even the good things that they do, Scripture says those are just filthy rags. 
because they're doing it in their own self-effort. They think they can do it without Christ. But we, we are those who have come to know him by, by the faith of Jesus living within us, that we've been those that have been called heirs and sons and alive, and we are called more than conquerors in Christ. And so we get to choose to live this life following Jesus, walking with him, learning how to trust him, and learning what it means to not be those who walk in the flesh, not those who, that, that are just busy going about life, not tuning into things of the spirit, but we are those who are in the spirit. We are those who intentionally are listening in, plugged in. We are lightning rods of heaven to see heaven's influence move through our lives, through our minds, our bodies, and into the world around us to see real change on earth as it is in heaven. We have to be those who are led by the spirit because the spirit is mentioned 14 times in this passage alone. It's not by your own works. It's not by trying harder. It's not by having a schedule and having a checklist. It's about living life in the spirit. That's what it's all about. And we as Christians, we have this title of Christians, but what it really means is Christ living in us. Christ living in us and through us. Do you know that Christ means anointed one? And so we are little anointed ones. He was anointed, what was he anointed with? With power, he was anointed to break the chains of slavery, to heal the sick. He was anointed to bring the kingdom of God where there was darkness, he was anointed to bring the light of heaven. And we too are anointed and have the living power of Jesus alive within us. And so if that's true, expect something to change around you. Expect something to change within you because we've been anointed to, to make freedom for the captives, liberty for the captives, and to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is who we are. So something's got to shift today within us where we're no longer capped under what we think is just, I guess this is as good as it gets. I'm going to try really hard till I'm glad I got that fire insurance in heaven. But here's the deal. We got to start living now. We have got to start living now. Heaven started the moment that you met Jesus. All right. That's not my notes. Here we go. One of the main reasons we don't change isn't because the Holy Spirit isn't working in us, but because we get discouraged, we're struggling, and we choose not to yield. And so we looked at Romans 8.28. God's purpose is my transformation. Not just to get me to heaven. Not just the ticket to heaven, though that is an immense part of it, and that is our, our eternal hope. But God has a purpose for my life, and that is my transformation to look more and more like his son. My transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're about to go through one of the most life-changing passages in all of scripture. But before we do that, I want to look at 1 John 4:16. 1 John 4:16. And it says, "So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I have three questions for you guys today. Number one, do you know the love that God has for you? 
Number two, do you believe it? And number three, do you want to experience it more and more at a deeper and deeper level? My desire is that you know it, you believe it, you receive it, and that we get blasted in the love of God today. Because the love of God changes us forever. And you're going to be undone and wrecked by his love for all of time. And so I'm calling this message, the glory of life in Jesus. The glory of life in Jesus. There's four gospel truths that are going to bring us into a deeper revelation of the glory of our lives in Christ. Number one, ready? In Christ, I am free of every and all accusation. Somebody say amen. Amen. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? This is kind of leading us up to this point. What then shall we say to these things? Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, what are the things? They are all the awesome things that we just talked about in Romans chapter 8. No condemnation for those in Christ, which we're going to see that that's the start point and the end point. Those are the bookmarks of this passage. No condemnation for those in Christ. The fact that we are heirs to Christ and joint heirs with him. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. The fact that we have an eternal life, uh, eternal hope of life in heaven. The, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit prays for us, with us, and through us with his power. The fact that we are adopted into God's family and he calls us sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. And the fact that we are those who are laid down lovers of our God that chose to love us first. And that he is causing and working in, through, and with us together for our good. These are the things that Paul is saying, what shall we say to this? This is the gospel. What, what kind of words can we use to try to summarize how incredible these truths are that change the trajectory of our lives? These are heavy hitter truths. What shall we say to all of that? Are you charged up yet with these truths, he's saying? And here's the response to all of that. If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, the God of the universe has met you, a blood-bought son or daughter. He fills you with his very self. Who can be against you? What problem cannot be conquered if the God of the universe is working with you for all things turn to good? And then Paul's like, are you not getting this yet? Let me remind you for a second, the clearest illustration of how determined God is to get all of this for you. Let me give you a clear illustration of that. Are you ready? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has started something, he is more than determined to bring it to completion. If God has started something in your life, he is more determined than you are to see it to completion. God has already paid the highest price, his very own son. Will he not keep on giving? Charles Spurgeon writes, there can be no end to the generosity of God once he has given his son. There can be no end. If someone gives you a diamond, do you think they will not also give you a golden ring 
and maybe even the box. They've already given the highest price. If someone writes a check for $40 million for a home in the hills, if God is like, let me write you a check, son, for $40 million for a home in the hills, do you think that he will not also easily want to help furnish the house with you and maybe do a few renovations in the house to get it just like he wants to make it? That's, that's, not, a, that's not a dig for prosperity gospel, by the way. If God wrote you a $40 million check, pray, see if that's where you're supposed to spend it. I know some people in the room that could use a chunk of that. Amen. Amen. And here's where we get to point number one. In him, I am free from accusation. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's a rhetorical question here. He's not actually wanting, wanting you to answer. It's, a, it's an of course. Would someone like to file a claim against my son? Oh, hi, Karen. Would you like to speak with the manager? Hey, are you wanting to call the cops on us over here? If God is for us, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Bring a charge. It's a term of used as accusation. Who can accuse you? Did you know that Satan himself is called the accuser of the brethren? And that's what he's doing. Day and night, he is pointing a finger at you and he's hailing at you accusations. You haven't done enough. Remember that time you slipped up? Remember that trauma from your past? We're gonna dig that up again and throw that at you. Hey, remember you didn't do your, your scripture reading this week. You're five days behind on your Bible in a year. You didn't stop for that person on the street when you felt led to. You are not going to be obedient and you're gonna be punished. That's exactly how Satan talks, honestly. <laughs> you're gonna be punished. And he's saying, you sinned again. You are a sinner. You're failing, you're a failure. Your friends don't even like you. Yeah, you're stuck in that victim mentality. Remember that time you went to that party and everyone ignored you? Let's sit in that for a little while. It's what he does. The accuser of the brethren. And the, the thoughts in our lives, the lies that come at us are like little gnats and flies. Just, and we're trying to discern what is true from what is a lie. And we learn to know how to navigate spiritual warfare and take authority over the lies and really believe who we are. But picture a courtroom scene for a moment. God is the judge, you're on trial, and here's the devil pointing his nasty finger towards you over and over, saying, look at him, look at her. Look at what they did. They're not really a righteous son. Failure. It's not even worthy to be called God's son. And the father, theologically speaking, looks right over at the son. We're good? Are we good? And Jesus says, we are good. I paid for them. They believed me. Their sin is forgiven, and there is no condemnation. Who can bring a charge against you? Well, Satan has not stopped trying. It's actually laughable, really, because God is the judge, and he's the one that determines. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God's elect, that means his chosen ones. He has chosen you. 
Did we choose God or did he choose us? Yes. <laughs> Mysteriously, yes. But the truth is that he did choose you. He chose you. Some of you just need to know that, that your life has been chosen by the God of the universe that says, I want to be their father. A good father. I want them. Just as they are, I want them right now in my arms. That's our God. Ephesians 1.4, New Living Translation. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy and without fault in his eyes. So who can bring a charge against you? The answer, of course, nobody. If you're in Christ, if you've turned from your sin and you've embraced Christ by faith, if you're born again through faith in Jesus, if you've received the free gift of eternal life, if you're a blood-bought son of God, who can bring a charge against you? The enemy can't. Self-righteous people can't. You can't even against yourself. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, there's not a jury, there's a judge. And it's God. And he's who justifies. And if, if you're one of his chosen ones, in his eyes, you are justified. Amen. Not of a righteousness of our own doing, but through faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is applied to you. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. You see that? It's not my own righteousness. It's not my own doing. My own righteousness that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The big theological term is imputed righteousness. It's probably not in your everyday vernacular. But that's what it is. Imputed righteousness. I wish imputed was a little bit prettier of a word, but it's strong. Imputed. <laughs> it's like you had a bill that you couldn't pay and someone else pays it for you. Well, we had a debt that we could not pay on our own because we owed a debt we could not pay, but he chose to pay the debt on our behalf. Imputed righteousness. That's what it means to be saved. And so in summary, in God's eyes, we are justified and no one can accuse us. I've got a question for you. Have you ever been falsely accused? Think about that for a moment. Think about a time in your life that you were falsely accused. I was thinking about this for myself. And one of my first jobs, well, my first job was in the fish department at Petland. So, you know, now I'm a fisher of men. Yeah? From puppies to guppies, baby. My second job was at a Christian bookstore. So I am, I'm set up to be a pastor. Take care of the pets. Take care of the books. What's next? And so um, here I am at a Christian bookstore. I'm, uh, how old was I, 16, 17? Uh, I got my nice khaki pants on, tucked in, got to look good for the boss, older woman, really southern older woman. And um, one day, 
She goes, Tommy, we got money missing from the cash register. And I go, I, I didn't laugh, but I was like, I, I, did not, I did not take it. Is that what you're asking? I don't know where it is. I didn't. And so for, um, I think it was for a day or two, she was really upset. She like called my mom and all this. I'm, I'm literally like an angel employee, okay? I'm like, there's, first of all, there's no one that ever comes in the store, to be honest with you. So I'm dusting what's already been dusted twice that day. You know, I'm making sure that the day spring birthday cards are nice and orderly, that the color-coded pink matches for the Mother's Day section. And, and I absolutely did not take the money, right? But, but as a 16, 17-year-old, like this false accusation of like, how could she think I took this money, you know? And clearly a, a day later or whatever, she made an error. So grace and forgiveness extended to my boss and uh, an apology would be great. No, it's okay. But that was just something that came to mind. Where have you been falsely accused in your life? Have you ever had things said about you that aren't true? Ever had people from a harsh form a harsh opinion about you that isn't accurate? Isn't it just one of the worst feelings? Like, how can you chart, how can you come against the purity of my heart? I feel violated, you know? Or maybe those accusations were actually accurate and you did fail miserably and you have immense shame and guilt about it and people start to talk and start to, to say things about you. That feels out of control too and just adds to the mess. But listen, there's nothing in your past that you are not free from in Christ. There might be a war within you. That can't be possible. I have to pay it back. I, I have to go through the self-flogging. I've got to go through the punishment. I enter into worship. I'm thinking about all the things that I could have done better, all the areas I failed, and I just need to spend a song and a half flogging myself I won't do it again, God. I won't do it again. Oh, oh yeah, that was horrible. Oh, oh yeah, that part. Mm. Flog, flog. And by the time you get to song three and we sing Let It Rain, you're like, oh yeah, finally I can enter into his presence, start to enjoy. But the thing about Jesus is the self-flogging is never part of the story. It's never meant to be part of the story. There's true repentance. There's a true, uh, true sense of turning and returning to the high place and returning to his arms. But we don't have to clean ourselves up before we enter into his arms. We live lives in the holy of holies. And so some of you just need to realize that you've glued yourself into the corner of the holy of holies, not seeing anything because you're thinking of your own sin and shame. And he's saying, just turn, just turn to me. You're here with me. I've never left you. We feel, we feel like we have to pay. But what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. This is a technical legal term. A technical legal term, it is finished. It means it's paid for, it's done, it's complete. I'm tearing up the contract, it's over. The debt of your sin is canceled because of Jesus Christ. And that is why we cannot be accused. What an incredible thing to be free from all of that condemnation in Christ. 
So if that's something that's keeping you back on a road of transformation, I've got to tell you, let that truth sink in that you cannot be accused. God is not keeping a record. He has never loved you less. He's never loved you more than he loves you at this exact moment in time. It's unchanging because his love for you is total and it's complete. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So the first thing, I, I am free from accusation in Christ. The second thing, and it kind of builds on it, I can never be condemned in Christ. I am free, that's the past. I can never be condemned, that's the future. Let me show you some scripture. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Who's gonna bring an accusation and a judgment? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you. Have you ever even pictured that before? Like we see Jesus high and lifted up. He's seated on the throne, the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is also interceding for you right now, day and night. We already learned that the Holy Spirit is interceding with us and for us through those groanings that we talked about earlier in the, in the passage. The groanings of the Holy Spirit on our behalf interceding, but we also have Jesus interceding on our behalf. If you go back to the courtroom, that accusation is coming at you. It's coming from the enemy. He's pointing fingers, and the father's looking at his son, and there Jesus is interceding on your behalf. That's quite a team that you have there. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fighting for you. He's believing in you, paying for your sin, declaring you to be justified. So you're telling me that I can never be condemned in Christ? I am telling you that. And this is the completion of Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ and here's the end of the chapter, punching it once again. There is no condemnation in Christ. And I'm trying to summarize this passage in all of these beautiful ways and tell you and infuse into your thinking, there is no condemnation for you in Christ. Why is there no condemnation? The answer to that question is the gospel. The gospel in two words substitutionary atonement. Two words, a lot of syllables. <laughs> substitutionary atonement. atonement. So I can't even say it, apparently. Substitutionary atonement. What's the gospel in four words? Jesus on my behalf. He took your condemnation and mine, and that satisfied God's justice. It is finished. And so when we look at the glory of life in Jesus, we have, I'm free from accusation. I can never be condemned. And number three, in Christ, I can conquer every single obstacle. Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. That in Christ, you can conquer every single obstacle? Some of you are like, I'm not sure, but let's get into it. <laughs> this is life-changing and absolutely empowering. Let's look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God, of God, of Christ? No one. Good answer. Family feud. We got it. 
That's number one on the board. No one! All right. 100 points. So you start to get lit up. As you, as you, you have this revelation of who Christ is, you start to get lit up. You're like, are all these things true? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an heir, I'm a son, I'm free, I can walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's interceding with me. Even Jesus is interceding with me. We start getting lit up with these truths, and you should be lit up by those truths by the Holy Spirit. But then you start to saying, wait a second, is this gonna stick? Like, is it, remember that the gospel means the almost too good to be true news? The almost too good to be true news. It's that good. So some of us are like, okay, that, is that too good to be true? You know, I'm starting to walk and oh, I feel a lot of peace. I feel a lot of joy. I'm sensing my righteousness, new identity. But is this thing gonna stick? Is this gonna stick in my life? Is this forever? Well, that's where Paul goes now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Separate here means to pull apart or to sever from. This life in Jesus is pretty spectacular, but is there any way that I could possibly lose this experience of his love? And Paul begins this kind of list. He's highlighting the areas of life that could be tempting to think that it could pull you away or sever the love connection that you have with the Lord. And so we're going to go through this list. Ready? Shall tribulation... Tribulation is circumstantial troubles, things that are going on all around me. And some of you can think about some of those right now, all the things going on all around you. Tribulation, wars, personal struggles. The implication is no, it cannot separate you from the love of God. Shall distress? All right, so the problem isn't just out here, all the circumstances and all the difficulties, the distress is in here, and here, and here, and here, this is where my distress is. Have you been distressed? I know what it's like to be in distress, where it just feels so terrible. You can't do anything about it. But do you know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Not your, what your employer does, not what your family member does, nothing externally or internally. But tell me, I'm, I, I'm not doing okay. I'm not doing good. I'm really struggling. And this is where I want to talk to you about the hand of God. The hands of God. Did you know that even when we are struggling, we are in the hands of God? Even when you're in your deepest struggle, you're in the hands of God. He is holding you. Jesus said that I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. I've given them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. What a great assurance. No one can pluck them out of my hand. Let's read John 10, 28 through 30. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them or pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Are you hearing this? You are in the palm of his hand. Scripture says even in Isaiah that we, we are engraved upon the hands of the Father. You are engraved in his very hands. 
If you are in the hands of Jesus, and you are hands in the Father, you are in some pretty good hands. Pretty good hands. That is as secure as secure gets. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Persecution is pain brought into your life because of your faith. And he continues his list of hypotheticals, which are all impossible. Persecution, tribulation, shall famine, hunger, or nakedness, which is this idea of being destitute. Peril, peril, again, something we don't use every day. Peril is like the hardest thing that is ever going on in your life. Peril, the hardest thing that you've ever had to go through. That thing, can that thing separate you from the love of Christ? Whether it's in your past or whether it's right now in your life or in your future, that cannot separate you from the love of Christ. How about sword? It's like a military term or a threat of life. And here's a little switch, and I want to go into this, because we're reading this passage, and, and some of us are like, shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Shall persecution? No. And we're like, that's right, nothing can. And then we, all of a sudden it goes, so let's turn right here, verse 36, because we're like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, for your sake, we are being killed. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, this is fun. To, this is fun to shout out till we got here. All right, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Oh. Oh I thought, I thought Jesus was was that. We are sheep to be slaughtered. What is he talking about? <laughs> I'm glad you guys are tracking with me. All right, he's quoting David in Psalm 44. And this, this would have been known to the Jewish community, that he is quoting King David. King David, just setting the scene here in Psalm 44, is with his men, and he had just lost a battle. So in one of his deepest areas of distress, some of you can identify that. You're like, I feel like I'm losing some battles over here. Well, here's David, and I love how real and authentic the Psalms are. And though not everything that he says, the turmoil and everything is is what the truth is, it is the feeling of how David felt in that moment. And we can read through the Psalms and identify similar emotions. You're like, yeah, I can get that as well. And so here's David, who's so real, a man after God's own heart, but he is in distress. He is in turmoil. He is in a place where, where the heck was God? I'm giving you my praise, my song, my worship, my life. But I just lost this battle. What the heck is going on here? And so here we have in Psalm 44, verse 22, David writes, Yet for the sake, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And he's speaking to God, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? And sometimes there are situations and moments and seasons in our life where it feels like this. We're like, where are you, God? Why are you hiding your face from me? Wake, are you sleeping? You're gonna reject me forever? Why are you hiding your face, God? Rise up, help me out. And I love how honest David is in this moment. The strength of his communication with the Lord 
And he's saying, sometimes we can feel like this. We can feel like that. The Psalms are just this honest expression. And the writer is, is, is telling what he's feeling. And so here, David is wrestling with something very similar that some of us go through. And that's why it fits so perfectly in Romans chapter 8. And that's why Paul is quoting King David here. Why do you hide your face, God? For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so here's this main question. Who or what can separate us from the love of God? Can any of these things, can the feeling of any of these things keep us from God's love? But regardless of what you see and what you feel, we have verse 37. And here's the shift. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, it might feel like your life is ending. It might feel like everything is falling apart. It might feel like God is distant. It might feel like he's hiding his face. No, we are more than conquerors in Christ. It's a calling forth from your spirit what is actually true. You might not see it. You might not feel it. All of your circumstances might be shouting against you. No, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But I'm being crushed. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like a sheep that's led to the slaughter. Where is God? No, no. Even if it feels that way, even if it looks that way, no, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know what more than conquerors means? Some scholars believe it means super conquerors. Who here is a super conqueror in Christ? We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors in Christ. And some of you are like, I need that dial to be turned up in my life because I don't feel like a conqueror right now. We're just getting through this season. We're just, we're just trying to tiptoe, kind of leaning on my beloved right now. And it's like, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. It's time for that reality to be manifest in your life. And it's by the Spirit, where he's, he's speaking right now to your spirit. He's saying, you, right where you're at, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your weakness, you are more than a conqueror in me. And the other thing is that the very things that are targeted against you, the very difficulties and situations and problems and people, when you're living your life yielded to the Lord, those things become employed for your benefit. Those things, those darts of the enemy that are coming at you, when you live a life in Christ, he turns it all around for your good. I love saying he is the greatest recycler. So no matter what trash you got out there, Bring it before the Lord. Just live yielded. Live as a laid down lover before him and watch what he will do. You are more than a conqueror. And it's, it's like as if a city had siege upon it. And all the enemies are climbing over the walls and busting through the gates. And all of a sudden when God shows up on the scene, the very enemies that are trying to climb into your camp, he will turn it around and those very things will start to be employed on your behalf. All of a sudden, those enemies start to become used building the culture, building a house over here, working together for your good. That's what life's like when you start following the Lord. 
Even the darkest area of life, mysteriously, God can turn it around for your good. Our job, our job is to live yielded, surrendered, those that love him, those that know that we are living according to his purpose, saying, all right, I'm going to be one that lives in the spirit. I might not see every time that I engage with the Lord what he's doing that day. I might not have a definition for it, but I know that through this walking with the spirit, I am just transformed. And God is transforming all of this around me at the same time for his good and for my good. It's for an eternal good. It's for a legacy. And some of us are so stuck in our temporary things in our life that we have no clue how to be part of legacy. We are so individualistic in our culture, but we are working together, together. We are a team. Look around you, you are a team, a beautiful team. Look around to the other churches. We are a team. Look around to other ministries. We are a team. Why are we pitting ourselves against each other? Why are we comparing and kind of with a little giggle, we see a ministry fail and we're like, huh, it was coming at them. What are we doing? We are a team. We've got to work together, all hands on deck. If we want to see the end times harvest, everyone at attention, okay? It will be employed for your victory. And sometimes we're like, I can't see it, but I'm choosing to believe it. And that's okay. I can't see it, but I choose to believe it. I'm going to put a marker in the ground right now. I might not see it. I might not feel it. I might not have the tingles, but the word of God says it. And though I cannot fully muster this up, Holy Spirit, I choose to believe this. Marker in the ground. Some of you need to do that today. the glory of life in Jesus, the glory in life in our Jesus, free from accusation, free from condemnation. We can conquer every obstacle in Christ. And here's the grand finale. Are you ready? Nothing can separate me from God's everlasting love. Nothing. Let's look at these last verses of Romans 8 to drive it home. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, that's, that's even the uncertainty of the future, that nothing that's going to happen before you die or when you die. I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, this is the idea of a spiritual war that's going on around us. Ephesians 6, Paul makes that really clear, to be strong in the Lord, to stand firm when the fiery darts of the enemy come at you. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, that's the things that's going on right now in your life that you feel that separate you from the love of God, nor things to come, things ahead, future things. It, it's, you know, life's pretty good right now, but I, I gotta tell you, I'm awake at night and I'm thinking about what could go wrong. I have anxiety. Like, I'm, I, I'm living okay right now, just paying my bills and doing my thing, but... I don't know where this is going, and I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. Nor things to come, 
None of these can separate you from the love of God. He continues, nor powers. Again, that's this idea of spiritual forces in this, this great battle we have in life. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing up here, nothing around me, nothing, nothing. He's, Paul right now is just hitting the nothing button. Nothing. As a kid, I would carpool to school, big red Suburban. And I was a couple years older than a few kids in the backseat that had their Beanie Baby collection. And they would occasionally bring out a, a toy called Bop It. Some of you are familiar. Let me catch some of you youngsters up. There's a, a toy called Bop It. And hopefully it has battery because uh, it's a lot of fun in the back of the car. And I think it has three or four settings on it and you just gotta speed it up because it goes Bop It and you hit it. Twist it, you twist it. Bop It. Bop it, twist it, and then it, and then it does different orders. So you got to kind of like really track. It's, it's really hard. Okay. Bop it, twist it, twist it, bop it. Okay. That's what came to mind. This is in Tommy's mind reading scripture. I'm like Paul, bop it, nothing, nothing. What can separate you? Nothing up here. Nothing, nothing. Bop it, nothing. God's love for you is entire. It's total unchanging, complete, forever. Nothing can separate you. Stop it. I've never used Bop It in a sermon illustration. It's the divine revelation of the Lord. Lord, give me, give me a powerful illustration, God, as I sit here in prayer in silence. Bop it. And we know it. Let's express our faith to believe it. Some of you have things in your life that you feel disconnected and disengaged from the love of God. You think of your past, you think of your present, you think of the spiritual forces, you think about your future, you think about things out here, you think about things in here. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you. Have we got it all covered? Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is the very atmosphere of your existence. We are made to live in the atmosphere of God's love. Amen. That's how you're designed. Do you remember Eden? They would walk in the ruah of the Lord's presence in the garden. In his very presence, his life breath, his spirit. That's what we were made for. And we are made today to walk in the same presence of God the Ruah, the love of God. God is love. So love is the very atmosphere that we are created to live, live in. Nothing can change that. And maybe that you've, in your own life, you've lived apart from that love of God for quite some time. Maybe there's been moments where you've experienced it, but there's just been a season where you're not there. And you know it. You know you're not there. And some of you, 
you know, you've got this guy up here talking and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I've, I've never experienced this, this unseen world and the love that he's talking about. If I had to face reality, I've never experienced that before. I'd love to know that kind of love. But if you are in Christ, you are in the love of God. We've come to know and believe the eternal, steadfast love of God. So in the context of the power to change, maybe you feel like I do sometimes, where there's, there's a lot that's happened in life, and sometimes we're, we're weary of even ourselves and, 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 the, and tired of the struggle that we go through in all of these different areas and just trying to be who God created you to be. And we've talked a lot about this power of the Holy Spirit that we long to see happen. But God's love for you is it, it's entire, it's total, it's unchanging, it's complete, and it is a forever kind of love. And we know it. We know it. If you're a believer, there's something in you. There's something in you as a believer that you, you get to this, this place or maybe even a sense of difficulty or maybe, you know what, you know sometimes when like there's something so dark that comes up in your face and something just arises within you? And you're like, I know that I know that I know. And before that even took place, you're like, I don't know if I know. But then you confront it, you're like, no, I know it. I know it. You know what I'm talking about? I gotta remind you that there's nothing that we can do that can, God, that can cause God to love us any more or that can cause, us, cause him to love us any less. This is an everlasting kind of love. So how do we accept these truths and actually begin to experience the more of his love each day? We hear about it, we read about it, but we wanna experience that, don't we? Step one, Romans 8. We start to live life in the spirit. As you lean in and you start to pray in that posture, the Holy Spirit comes and reveals himself to you in your mind, in your body, in your heart, in your soul, and you start to get washed in the truth from a heavenly perspective. And living in the spirit allows that, that, that manifestation of his love to come, rest upon, fill, and remain in our lives. It's that, it's that pure connection that we bring as we live in the spirit. And that, that thin place becomes more and more thin as we experience heaven's reality in our own lives. Some of us need to, to know and, and, and recognize that we're not, just, we're not just hungry and thirsty for an idea or a concept or good theology. We are actually aching to be with him. We're aching to be with Jesus himself. And some of you just need to hear the phrase, return to your first love. We're not aching to have good theology. We're not aching to have a good concept or a good sermon or a good book to read. We're aching to long to be with him. And as we drink of Jesus and as we eat of Jesus, an insatiable hunger starts to come into our lives and we crave the more. We crave the more to be with him, to abide with him, to come to the place in our prayer closet or here on a Sunday morning and just come back. Like, oh, I, I've, I've been doing good this week. I've just had a little bit of disconnection, but I want to live in that place of just woven in connection to the Lord. Yeah. 
And I'm telling you, it is possible. And we're experiencing it more and more. I'm working with people every single day that are seeing more and more that connection and the manifestation of the love of Jesus increase in their lives. And it changes everything because you're living in the spirit. You're living aware. You're shedding the things of this world. You're shedding the shackles and the scabs that, that formed over the cuts and bruises. And, you, and you're just saying, here I am once again, God. Clean me up. Here I am right now in what feels like imperfection. And he looks at you with eyes of love and says, I look at you as pure and holy. I look at you as pure and holy, my son, my daughter. And some of you just need that invitation today. Just come in. Come into the love of God that surrounds us. You are written on the palm of his hands. You are written on the palm of his hands. We know intuitively that nothing compares to actually being with him. Talking to a person is different from reading a letter from them. We crave his presence. Jesus draws us unto himself. And we can't substitute being in his actual presence. And in that place of his presence, we're transformed. What is the greatest joy of the life of a disciple? It's simply being with Jesus. It's being with Jesus. It's where his love saturates, where the very embodiment of love is in front of us. I love that, that, uh, that song. It's like, love has a name, love has a voice, love has a face, love has eyes. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And it really all comes back to that, doesn't it? All about Jesus. Abiding with him, the greatest joy of a disciple. So there it is. There it is. Aren't you glad to be a believer in Jesus Christ? And if you're not, what are you waiting for? If you're not, what are you waiting for? It's free and it's our only hope. And it's available right now. It's available right now. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? feel like it's appropriate as we, as we close um, this series on Romans 8, how we're going to take communion in just a moment. And um, I've actually had many of you reach out to me saying how highlighted communion, communion is in this season. It's been like, you know where it's like uncanny, the number of people that are reaching out about it. And I really do think there's something about the power of communion in this moment and there always is, right? There always is. It's the beauty of communion. But I just want to lean into that as a church. Would you guys close your eyes for a moment? I want to pray, and then we're going to... Um, I'll let you grab the communion and come back to your, your seat. Because Jesus, right now, we just come to you with gratitude. We come to you with gratitude for who you are, who you have been, who you are, and who you will be. We thank you for these truths that come, the glory of knowing Jesus, 
the glory of knowing Jesus where we are truly, truly free. We are truly free. No accusation, no condemnation. Living as those in the everlasting love of God. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus who gave his, his own, that God gave his only son whom he loved to this earth for you to lay down his life humbly to place his life upon the cross to bleed and to die and to be beaten and bruised so much so that he was unrecognizable as even a human and that was for your behalf for your freedom from sickness, disease, torment, your freedom from sin and death. It was a perfect sacrifice. It was the atonement. And we are justified. It is finished. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are risen you are seated up on high, interceding right now on our behalf. Even right now where you're at, he is interceding for you. So in just a moment, I want us to, to go get communion and bring it back to our seats.